Digital Marketing Radio, episode 264. How to learn more about your audience and apply that information to get better marketing results. Digital Marketing Radio with David Bain. Hi, I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio, the show for in-house agency and entrepreneurial marketers who want to stay on top of the latest tools, tactics and trends as shared right here by today's modern marketing masters. So... How much do you truly know about your audience and which message you should be providing specifically for them? On this episode 264 of Digital Marketing Radio, we're going to be looking at how to learn more about your ideal audience and how to use that information to deliver much more effective marketing. Joining me to discuss that is a man who spill big tech's dark secrets if you bribe him with enough great pasta or great cocktails. He's dedicated his professional life to helping people do better marketing through his writing, speaking and startups, and is currently co-founder and CEO of audience research startup SparkToro. Welcome to DMR, Rand Fishkin. Thanks for having me, David. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on, Rand. You can find Rand over at sparktoro.com. So just before we get on to the main subject, Rand, I, uh, I was wondering actually where the brand Spark Toro came from because I was having a look at your website beforehand, couldn't see it. Maybe the story behind why you chose that name on your site. Maybe I missed that. How did you actually come about choosing that name? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I wrote a blog post about it when we first started, but it's basically a startup naming convention um, bit of wisdom or belief that I have around it, which is essentially that you should choose a name that has zero Google results. Okay. So that you can always track your brand very easily. Uh, I also like names that don't specifically say what they are. So for example, you know, amazon.com, there could be anything at that URL, google.com, right? There could be anything that, that, that could be a company that means anything. It doesn't necessarily pigeonhole you into something in particular. Um, you know, my previous startup SEO Moz, that, that one was a little tough, uh, so, but you rebranded re- um, to Moz, so that, that that certainly did the job there. Is that with trademark <laughs> yeah, in mind was, as well? Yeah, I, uh, certainly trademark and copyright abilities. Uh, for this reason, right, zero Google results is a great thing to aim for. And in our case, uh, Spark Toro was inspired by the Japanese cartoon Totoro. Okay, not aware of it. Sorry, but uh, <laughs> that's where the, <laughs> okay, that's where the name comes from. That, 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 I mean, that's great, and I, I, I love the aiming for a brand that has zero Google results, because it certainly makes knowledge panels and um, controlling, I guess, your brands. Uh, It makes a million things easier, Mm. right? So if you want to track your um, mentions of your brand name, if you want to find anyone who's talking about you in the last 24 hours, right? You can go to Google and search for SparkToro and, you know, last 24 hours, and I can always see everything everyone's saying about the brand and I can watch that over time. Branded search volume is always easy to assign and attribute. Uh, You can do this on any platform. You can make sure that if there's zero Google results, you can get all your social media handles very easily. All all that kind of stuff. Copyright and trademark, right? Legal stuff. Everything is made much easier when you choose brand names that way. Definitely. And also if you choose a brand name, you know, that doesn't have a prior association, the nice part is you won't be fighting an, against the current when you're building your brand. Yes. Yeah. Great advice there. I, I was rubbish at that to begin with. I, I 
came from an SEO background. So I loved domain names initially that were keyword rich and uh, just very descriptive yeah. and not a brand at all. Digital marketing radio. Yeah, well, there we go. I mean, that's, that, that, that's, 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 that's almost um, better than what I was originally doing. Um, but um, I've, I've got slightly better. I mean, I now run a podcast production agency called Casting Cred and no, a little bit descriptive, but also a little bit original and uh, a little bit easier. I got the social handlers for that as well. So <laughs> I'm on the right track. Perhaps not quite as good as Spark Toro, but on the right track. Uh, but we're not talking yeah, about... I brand- mean, it also depends on, yeah, it depends on what you need your brand to do and to scale and where it's going, right? And I, I think about a lot of these top level design features of a business and a, an entity and a brand far more than I ever did, you know, when I was building Moz. I think that's what happens when you do something over and over again, right? You, um, you're much more thoughtful about the design of it and you save yourself a lot of future pain by being intentional up front. Or do something like I did and um, take a wife who is actually a trademark attorney. And so that, that kind of helps as well. And <laughs> she understands that um, it's not all about just being descriptive. You actually have to um, protect your, um, your, um, your entity. But mm. sorry, we're mm. not talking about branding today. We're we're we're, we're majoring in on audience. Why not? <laughs> indeed, <laughs> indeed, absolutely. Well, that's these um, these two topics. These two topics are intricately linked. Yeah, I mean, so certainly how an audience understands what you're all about and and resonates with you, and I guess as a result of um, seeing your imagery online, uh, how they actually react to that and, and decide to click through and um, how they associate what you do. I mean, ha- have you actually tried to, I mean, I'm sure you have done, um, leave the audience, the new audience with a certain feeling when they actually visit SparkToro? Uh, I, I would say it's a little bit less a an emotional feeling. Cause I think we're, we're not truly an emotional brand, mm-hmm. which, you know, uh, could be for better or for worse. I think in a lot of B2B software, emotional brand building can be okay, but is not necessarily the, um, at least for me, it's not the foundation of what I'm trying to build, right? What I really need, especially in these early years for SparkToro is for people to come away with a clear, concise answer to what problem does this product solve? And when I have that problem, I need to use SparkToro to solve it, right? So for for folks in you know in our case, obviously, um, spoiler alert, right? We're talking about audience research. Obviously, SparkToro helps solve that problem. So when someone says, "Oh, I need to better understand my audience or my competitor's audience or the audience of this publication I'm going to pitch or you know where I can reach people who are like this," that's what SparkToro helps with. And so we are trying to constantly create that brand. I think this is a big challenge for early stage companies who, you know, SparkToro probably has 50 or 60,000 people who know generally what it does. And our goal over the next five to 10 years is to make that 5 million or 10 million people who know what SparkToro is and does. Um, and that's probably, you know, that's probably true for Moz. There's probably 5 million people who know what Moz is and what it does. They have some association with it. And that's by virtue of being in the you know, digital marketing and, and SEO world specifically. And now, <laughs> now I get to do it again. 
I guess one of the challenges that you, you face with Spark Toro is that it almost offers a lot more than, than, than Moz does, in that um, there are so many different potential use case scenarios for it. And it must have been quite challenging yeah. for you to begin with to identify what your how your audience, I guess, defined or wanted to use Spark Toro, uh, Toro and <laughs> what to pull out as use case scenarios. And I, know, I love on your homepage how you've got um, my audience frequently talks about, um, uses the words in their profile, follows the social account, frequently visits the website, frequently uses the hashtag. It's five different options you've got there in terms of people doing the initial searches. It's, it's, it's not dumbing things down, but it's making... Um, the audience is thinking more defined in terms of what they may be wanting to use the tool for. Um, is that something that slowly came over time or um, you, you had a f- strong idea um, what the use case scenarios were likely to be prior to actually doing the public launch? Uh, it came about during the development stage. So essentially, you know, it was what kinds of data can we gather from public profiles about you know, large groups of people online, and then how do we anonymize and aggregate those? And then how do we make it searchable? And then the, the, um, those questions flowed from, uh, what we were able to build. So, you know, in an ideal world, I'd love to be able to say things like, oh, my audience subscribes to the email newsletter or, um, you know, my audience fits the following demographics, but we're not able to do those things. And so what we did with the, um, with the search parameters is, is what's possible. But yes, um, to your, your prior question around that, uh, I find it fascinating and have thought of it as a huge obstacle and challenge, but also a big opportunity in that when we, and I specifically asked literally thousands of marketers, Hey, when you go and try and discover the sources of influence that your audience pays attention to most, what do you call that process, that discovery process, and then the targeting process of trying to reach your audience through those publications and people and accounts and podcasts and YouTube channels and events and email newsletters, all, all that stuff that influences them? What do you call that? And no two marketers gave me the same answer. And most everyone said, I do that, but I have no name or phrase for it. There's, there's no practice to describe the process, right? So for example, you know, um, uh, email marketing, that's a channel. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows about it. SEO channel. Everyone knows about it. PPC channel. Everybody knows about it. Uh, digital advertising, uh, content marketing, uh, event marketing. Everyone knows what all these different channels mean. But there is no phrase that consistently means go find the sources of influence that reach your audience and market to them through those sources. Have you tried sure to come up with that phrase uh, and actually popularize yeah, yeah. it? Yes. Yeah, like many of your listeners right now are probably thinking in their head, oh, well, I call that blah, 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 blah. And... The, the challenging part is your blah, 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 does not match everyone else's blah, 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 blah. Mm. So rough, uh, you know, th- that makes for a, for a challenge. You, we can't just stamp, you know, we're a great email marketing tool. We're a great marketing automation tool. We're a great. So audience research is the closest that we've come, but certainly 
for a lot of folks, they hear the phrase audience research and they don't instantly associate that with the kind of data uh, that SparkToro offers. But, you know, slowly and surely we're, we're trying to build that brand around, hey, when you do audience research, you should be able to quickly and easily get high veracity, um, high quality results that tell you, oh, economists in the UK listen to these podcasts and, you know, graphic designers in Canada watch these YouTube channels and, um, you know, uh, illustrators in Australia uh, visit these websites. That kind of data should be easily at everyone's fingertips. That's what obviously SparkToro is trying to do. But yeah, man, I mean, audience research is a poorly understood and very underinvested in field. You know, I can name, I think probably similar web is the closest to a uh, big public company that's trying to tackle that problem at scale. Mm. And they're doing it from very much a competitive intelligence and a market intelligence um, perspective. But yeah, that's, it's just not a, not an invested in digital marketing channel. It's tough. I mean, I just did a quick search in Google Trends and it doesn't seem a particularly popular phrase in the UK audience research, um, but it, I, I don't have the exact um, volumes in front of me here as well. It's, it sounds like the similar challenge that Joe Polizzi went through um, when starting the Content Marketing Institute. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely similar challenge. Um, I think that content marketing was a... Uh, poorly understood channel back in, what was that? 2007, eight. Yeah. Something like that. And yeah. And, and thankfully content marketing really took off because people understood the value of creating and producing content. And, and it fairly quickly became a standard marketing practice. Uh, I think audience research is going to be a little bit of a tougher one, a, a tougher sell to get to that size and scale. Okay. You need you need an audience research summit or or something like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not- is it is it uh, is it the summit that that got everyone to start creating content, or was it maybe the rise of the internet? Mm. And, and I, I think it was probably the rise of the internet that created the incentives for everyone to start creating content. And then there was this idea of oh. Well, we'll call that content marketing, right? We need a name for it. Joe is out there with this. I, I don't know if he created, I think someone else created the name and then he popularized um, that name. But yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So if you're saying that many people call it different things, does that mean that um, many marketers conduct what is uh, audience research quite differently? And is that a mistake? Should oh, yeah. there be a fairly standardized process for it? Um, not necessarily. I think, I think that there is room for a ton of different methodologies and it is really about solving the problem and speaking to the goal rather than following some sort of set methodology. There are people who disagree, right? For example, there are many people who believe very strongly in persona development, right? And essentially that in order to build a great marketing practice, you first develop a customer persona, um, or an audience persona, and then you, you know, 
create products that serve that audience and customer. And then you create, you know, go after marketing channels that reach that persona. And then you craft messaging that, that targets that persona Mm -hmm. and you build your pricing around that, blah, 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 blah. I think that that methodology works well for some people. That's fine. It is not my preferred methodology. Um, merely because I find personas to be overly reductive and simplistic and also to fall into a dangerous realm of stereotyping. Um, but if it works for you, don't, don't let me stop you. Um, do let me add additional data. I, I think that 99% of personas right now are missing data that is incredibly actionable and useful to marketers, which is what does my audience, what does my persona listen to? What do they watch? What do they read? What do they follow? What do they subscribe to? Um, how, how are they influenced and through what sources? That seems to be missing from every single persona model I've ever seen. I don't understand it because how, how are you going to reach those people if you, don't, if you don't have that data, David? Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> what's the point of the persona if you're not going to tell me how they behave and and how I can influence them. But, you know, I come at it from a marketing perspective rather than a product one. So that uh, maybe is part of my challenge. I do think that there are better ways than personas. For, For example, the way I like to structure my audience research in particular is to set people into, uh, cohorts based on their, um, either their different behaviors or their different job titles or their different um, product needs uh, or the problem that they're trying to solve with the product. So for example, you know, you might say, oh, well, we make, uh, we're a podcast, um, what'd you call it? Podcast like publication and consulting agency. We help podcasts, uh, podcasters, you know, grow their audiences. We help them figure out their, uh, their publishing topics and schedules and guests. And we help them, um, you know, to build up a practice that is going to work for them and a channel that's going to work for them. Wonderful. So who, who are my audience? Well, some of them are B2B and some of them are B2C and some of them are building a podcast because, uh, they are primarily using it as a content marketing methodology, and some of them are using it as a customer education one, and some of them are using it to meet people, and some of them are using it for digital PR and SEO. And okay, great. So we have our five or six groups of different uh, audiences, and now we're going to do research about each one, try and learn their behaviors, uh, attributes like like job title and role. We're going to try and figure out what they already know about podcasting. We're going to figure out what they don't. And we're going to figure out the relative solutions that can solve their problems. Oh, and groups one, two, three, they basically all need the same problem, uh, same product at the same price. But groups four and five need different products at different prices. So we're going to have three levels, one serving group one, two, three, one serving group four, one group serving group five. That's kind of how I like to do audience research as opposed to the persona model of like marketing Mike has mm. three kids and two dogs yeah. and he likes to go for long walks on the beach in Los Angeles. It, it doesn't appeal to me at all, but just because it doesn't appeal to me doesn't necessarily mean it's not the, the right thing to do. I, I used to work with personas quite a bit in, in various marketing roles. Yeah. Um, but since I've ventured out by myself, um, I've, I'm focusing in on, two different um, 
different, um, not businesses, but di- brands potentially at the moment. So I'm, I'm focusing on digital marketing radio. And with digital marketing radio, I'm just solely creating content that I like to create. Um, with Casting Cred, the podcast production agency, I know my main client is a B2B brand in the UK. So I'm articulating within the content that it's for them. But within the content style, I'm not attempting to write in a manner that may closely match people who are in my audience and certainly not for digital marketing radio. Do you think it's a mistake that I'm actually perhaps even writing for myself and that's who I'm thinking of when I'm writing content? Uh, So I think one of the most beautiful things about being an entrepreneur is that you you get to follow your bliss and follow your passion and your interest and create it like you would create art Mm -hmm. and then put it out there and say, Hey, if there's an audience for this art, fantastic. And if there's not, so what? I liked making it as a human being. That is a, a, uh, what do the Italians call La vita bella, right? The, The beautiful life where you, you get to enjoy the experience of it rather than focusing on the goals and outcomes. But, right, being, being realistic, living in a late-stage capitalist world, especially in the United States, and I think the UK too, hey, I, I recognize that La Vita Bella is not, not uh, how a lot of marketers are thinking, probably not how a lot of your listeners are thinking, mm. right? They are thinking in terms of results, actionable tips and tactics how do i how do i make progress toward what my company wants and you know what i'm expected to return to them and so f- from that perspective i think it it generally pays when you are creating anything a product or content a podcast an email newsletter whatever to have an audience in mind that you are serving and that you you have a great sense of why whatever you're creating will resonate with them be something that they want to engage with more, share, subscribe to, uh, I don't know, um, pay for, those kinds of things. So just before we segue to section two, thinking about SparkToro, what's the most surprising use of SparkToro that you've seen that you didn't particularly envisage beforehand? (laughs) Someone used SparkToro to save a TV show. And it it was, it was my favorite story. So, um, I think, unfortunately I don't have permission to share which TV show, but you know, in the, in the U S at least we've got like Netflix and Hulu and HBO max and Apple and right. They're all competing, right. They're all trying to get, so one of these big publishers, um, networks, uh, had a television program that was canceled and the TV, um, whatever the producer behind it was like, well, we need to go to another network to try and save the show, right? Get picked up by another network. We got canceled by, this isn't actually, but we got canceled by CBS. Let's see if Netflix will pick us okay. up. And so the, they use SparkToro to essentially um, do research on the uh, followers of the show, the people who talked about it online, the people who use the hashtag, the people who followed the, the characters and the actors and then they use that data to say, hey, Netflix, Not it wasn't actually Netflix, but hey, Netflix, here's the audience that our show reaches. And here are the other shows in sort of this genre world that you have currently on your network. And look, 
they, you are not reaching this audience that we are reaching. And it's a sizable, high value audience. You should pick us up because you'll get more subscribers if you do. And the network ended up picking up the show for another run. Great. <laughs> How cool is that? It absolutely is cool. Uh, is, it, is it is it the sort of tool platform? I never know if to call it a tool or platform. What, what uh, word do you prefer? I, I think I think SparkToro is more of a tool than a platform. But you know what the the words have gotten so mixed up in startup SaaS lingo that mm. it, it's hard to know. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, is it is is it the sort of um, platform that, that that marketers will use for a big project on, on a one-off basis, um, or perhaps use once and then find different uses for it and end up using it on an ongoing basis? Uh, I think both of those are true. What we tend to find is agencies and consultants they kind of need it for every project that they do and every new project that they take on for each client. And so they, they tend to be our, um, whatever you want to call it, highest retention customers, right? They, they're using it all the time, every week for every project over and over again, which is great. And we also love that. I, this is super weird. This is one of those things where like you could never be, be venture backed and do it, <laughs> but, uh, we have this odd behavior for a you know software as a service subscription business where a lot of folks come in, they subscribe for a month or two or three, they use us for a big research project, and then they don't subscribe again for a year, which is fine, right? They'll, they'll cancel. They don't need it. A year later, they'll sign back up again. Oh, we're doing another bit of audience research, right? We, we need to do this. Or, oh, we're launching an event. Who should we invite to speak? Oh, we could use SparkToro to figure that out. Oh, we're doing a big content project. Oh, where, where should we promote our content? We could use SparkToro for that. Oh, we're doing a big digital PR initiative. We could use SparkToro for that, right? And so they'll they'll have those, those use cases, but we are very unusual in that we nudge people to cancel if they're not using, mm. right? So you get like a little notification like, hey, we're about to charge your card. If you're not using the product, you should you should cancel, save yourself some money, right? Come back to us in the future. People, uh, what I love is people like tweet and post on LinkedIn. They'll take a screenshot of the email we send, and they're like, "I can't believe this company is like helping me, you know, save budget." And it's a talkable trigger. Uh, I read the book "Talkable Triggers" by Jay Beer recently, and so that's certainly one of them. Exactly, exactly. It's the kind of thing that is unusual and unexpected and feels like a bank error in your favor, even though it's kind of just the right thing to do, right? If someone's not using your product or your service, you, yes, it's not in your financial interest, but you should call them up and be like, hey, David, I, you shouldn't be paying me, man. <laughs> you're, not, you're not using this, right? And then um, that, that is something that, that we really find uh, Probably it hurts our short-term bottom line. And my belief is that long-term, over the next decade or two, it will build goodwill and brand trust and will mean that we actually have more lifetime value with our customers because people will have this positive association with us. They'll feel like we're in their corner. And when they need audience research, they'll come back to us. Absolutely. Um, I concur. It's hard to justify when you're working in a big brand, but maybe that's... um 
the reason why some marketers listening may end up working for themselves because that's what they want to do. They want to do the thing that feels right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that we are at a crossroads, culturally speaking, in the, you know, in the business world and the technology world and sort of the worlds of um, finance and, and capitalism, where there is a, a real desire to be less extractive and more generous, and that there is a benefit to being a more generous brand, not being seen as more generous, but actually being more generous, right? I, you know, I want to change my consumer behavior and I do whenever I can. I think there's tons of people out there like that. Um, And look, you're in a, in the B2B software world, there are nothing, if not a million options for anything you want to do. So you, you gotta be, you gotta have some great reasons why people should be choosing your brand. Great advice. Let's segue to part two of our discussion. So it's now time for Rand's thoughts on the state of digital marketing today. So starting off with secret software. So Rand, share a lesser known Martic tool that's bringing you a lot of value at the moment and why that tool is important for you. Ooh, yeah. Uh, we are, this is an analytics tool, but we, we are crazy about profit. Well, I don't know how many other software as a service businesses use it, but um, it is shockingly excellent and and it's free. It doesn't make any sense that it's free. It's way too good to be free. I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me, but um, yeah, it's uh, very, it's a very beautiful, easily usable tool. Uh, it has every kind of tracking you could possibly want for all your SaaS metrics and, and, you know, predictions and um, growth metrics and, all that kind of stuff tracks all of our customers. It's um, awesome. Well, Just awesome. I've heard the recommendation before as well. So um, if you're a marketer that works in a SaaS and you haven't tried it out before, make sure you try it out. Now, include the link in the show notes um, a little bit later on. But moving on from something you currently use to something that you're going to use. So that Next is a, on the list. So what's one marketing activity or tool that you haven't tried yet, but you want to try soon? Uh, Amanda and I are on the cusp of kicking off a, I think it's going to be a, uh, monthly video interview series. So where we essentially have a topic that we, uh, discuss with ourselves, uh, you, you know, each other, and then sort of present something on, and then we invite a guest on to speak on it. It'll probably be a 40 minute show something like that. And then that'll be a video series on YouTube. We'll probably push it in audio format to um, podcast channels as well. Uh, but it's something I've never done. So, you know, I had the, um, the weekly video series, the like 10 minute whiteboard Friday videos when I was at Moz, Mm -hmm. that was a very successful series. Um, we're hoping to actually replicate something similar, uh, with SparkToro. I've been doing these like 90 second little product demo videos. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited about potentially stepping into your shoes, right? And, and trying this. Uh, <laughs> I haven't got any shoes on at the moment, but that's another story. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, I, me I, neither. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's quieter without them. I'm intrigued that you say monthly video series, because I think a lot of, uh, many of the challenges um, that show producers face is getting that show out there, getting eyeballs on there, getting listeners. And if you're just doing it on a monthly basis, then it's harder 
to build up traction. I guess the positive is that you can focus a little bit more on the quality of the content and you will perhaps promote each episode. But what are your thoughts in general on quality versus quantity and the benefits of doing it weekly versus monthly? Yeah, I think, uh, quite frankly, if we had no other content series that we were offering, we would probably do it bi-weekly or even weekly. Uh, but because we have office hours, which is also a, you know, it's a live sort of webinar that you join. It's more of a, here's a PowerPoint presentation. Then we do Q and A and sort of some live demos of software stuff. Um, that series currently is happening every two weeks. It'll probably go to monthly and then we'll essentially have, you know, every two weeks, there's either an office hours or a video series. And that feels about right. It's a little bit less around what's absolutely the most optimal thing from a content marketing perspective and a little bit more around the philosophy that we have at SparkToro, which is chill work, mm-hmm. right? We we want to be chill. We want to make sure that it's not just that we have enough time to put you know a lot of effort into something and make it high quality. It's also that we don't want to ever be overwhelmed. We are not willing to sacrifice our lives and health and you know, work 60 hours a week to produce the most possible growth that the company could ever get. That That's not our way, right? Our way is we want to live la vita bella <laughs> and also make a great company. Do you have Italian roots or do you just love Italy? I'm married to an Italian, ah, but I, right, I don't okay. know. I'm Jewish. Right. <laughs> because um, I've uh, I've seen photos on, on Twitter of you, uh, I think, cooking pasta. And, and you say that you love good pasta as well. So uh, hence the, oh, yeah. uh, the line of questioning. <laughs> Let's... Yeah, yeah. No, I am. I am. Uh, I'm definitely. An, is it an Italophile? I don't know if that's a word, but like a Francophile, but for Italy. Mm. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I, I mean, I love the I love the food and the culture many aspects of it there, you know, Italy has its problems. I think it's still a troubling country when it comes to things like race and gender, um, progressivism, but you know, it's getting slowly getting better. Uh, but man, I mean, the, the culture around appreciating and enjoying the life around you and not always desiring to, um, work the maximum hours to potentially have the most wealth when you die. <laughs> that that really appeals to me, right? I can't. It seems to appeal to a lot of people quite, for some reason. <laughs> yeah. I can't quite figure out how we, especially in the U S and UK, um, got to this idea that, uh, let me either be Jeff Bezos or die trying. That doesn't, that's not awesome. No, no. Um, the, the UK is in a strange place. Uh, it's, I don't think it's quite like American that um, it has for regular workers at least three or four weeks holiday a year and things like that. But it's yeah. it's not certainly in the socialist camp either. And it maybe yeah. maybe better not um, verging into politics just now. And uh, I think of it a little bit less as politics from a sort of left right perspective, our classic left right perspective, mm, sure. and a little bit more of a um, exploitation of, you know, 99% of workers for the benefit of sort of a few, whatever, aristocracy ruling class 
people. And that that is not a great way, I think, to set up. So, and, and I don't think there's a lot of argument around that, like not even among billionaires, right? There's not a lot of them who are like, oh yeah, I, you know what I really like? I like hundreds of millions of people going without healthcare and sacrificing themselves and killing themselves, working hard so that I can be a little wealthier. I don't even think that they love that. Like mm. it, it's almost like everyone's in this weird, uh, what, what do you call that? The hamster wheel. Yeah. <laughs> they're trying to persuade themselves we that just they don't like to it. Get out. And or they're telling themselves it's okay. I'll do, I'll just do this for for ten or twenty years, and then then I'll then I'll do something yeah. I like. Then, you know, then I'll make enough money to retire, and and probably you won't. <laughs> I, I, you're going to like this round. I I looked up, um, not 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 probably spelt um completely correctly, but Italifile. Um, what do you think the definition of that is in Urban Dictionary? Oh, oh, that's not the website you want to look at. No, 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 no. But it's on. quite funny, just the description. One being addicted to using italics. <laughs> far better, far better. I I am I guess I'm not an italophile. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen your blog post, yes. You you can't um yeah, say that yeah. you're at that. Let's move I, I will bold things occasionally, but but no italics. <laughs> Let's move on to the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Just ten quick questions, two rules here. Try not to think about the answer too much, and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion, so use it wisely. Are you ready? Ooh. Okay. TikTok or Twitter? Twitter. Facebook or LinkedIn? LinkedIn. YouTube or podcast? Podcast. Traffic or leads? Traffic. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Ads or influencers? Uh, neither. How many times am I allowed to use that? Ooh. Interesting. Okay, <laughs> well, I'll just move on to Google Ads or Facebook Ads. We'll come back to influencers. Google Ads or Facebook Ads? Google Ads? Email marketing or chat marketing? What was the second one? Email marketing or chat marketing? So like chat bot marketing. Oh, email marketing, for sure. Chat bot. <laughs> Martech stack... Or all in one platform? Martech stack. One-to-one -one or scale? Both. Wow. Yeah, well, you didn't use your both. Uh, I was surprised uh, ads or influencers. You want to see neither. I was I was immediately going to think, well, SparkToro is very useful to find influencers. So surely he's going to want to choose influencers. But, but um, no. Well, I, here's here's my challenge, right, David? So, wh when people say the word influencers, what they usually mean are half naked people on Instagram and TikTok, right? Who have the six pack abs and they like pose at beaches around the world and they like hold up your product for five hundred dollars. Spark Toro doesn't help with that. <laughs> like we we will not find you influencers. And also, influencers is thought of as being essentially. Um, the person who talks about the topic with the most followers. And we don't help with that either. And, and I don't think it's a smart way of doing business. I don't think what, let's say you, um, you know, the classic industry that uses influencers, right, is like hotels. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think if you're a hotel, what you want is the person who talks about travel and has the most followers and has got their six pack abs, you know, for him to like come and do pushups outside your hotel and take pictures and put that on Instagram and you pay him five grand. I do not think that is a useful way to do marketing. I do think it pays to do a little bit of audience research and to discover, oh, our hotel and travel destination and property is popular with these types of audiences. uh, But this adjacent group, which has high affinity for these publications and accounts and YouTube channels and sources of influence, uh, we are not reaching them effectively yet. And so let's go after those sources of influence. So the way I feel is sources of influence, awesome. Influencers, what it's become, right? Your half naked $500 people, mm-hmm. not, not useful. So I don't, I just don't like influencer marketing or the, the, the concept behind it or, or how that channel has evolved, um, at all. I recognize there's some people who get value from it. Great. Fine. Don't let me yuck your yum, but <laughs> don't let me yuck your yum. Uh, isn't it the case that quite a few marketers out there will have a different perception of what influencer marketing is and that um, it, it may even be worthwhile positioning a page on Spark Toro to try and attract those marketers that may find Spark Toro. Oh yeah, I should put useful. up a uh, I should put up like a big influencer marketing sucks page. <laughs> influencer marketing is terrible, right? Right on Spark Toro and then have a here's a better way to think about sources yeah. of influence, oh, right? Okay, that's like one way to do. It. I, I think I think you're probably right. There are absolutely some marketers who when they think of influencer marketing, they may have negative associations with the classic you know, what what we've been talking about version and a more evolved, more sophisticated, broad view of what influence means. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I mean, if we were having this conversation eight years ago, influencer marketing is exactly what SparkToro does back then, right? Mm -hmm. Before the sort of rise of what influencer culture has become now. Um, And so, you know, I think that's a, that's a frustrating reality to realize that like the old definition is the good one (laughs) and the current definition, not so great. Uh, David, you know, my least favorite stat, possibly my least favorite stat, uh, when American high school students were asked, uh, what they want to do professionally in their careers, uh, the number one answer given was, uh, influencer. It, it, it is sad. It is sad. Uh, I, I, the only thing that I would actually, I guess, add on to that is when I was at school, I remember the the careers advisor, um, who we didn't see that much, um, came into the class once <laughs> and um, he, we're all probably about 12 years old. And he asked, OK, what does everyone want to be when they grow up? And one person said civil engineer. And, Ooh. and, and exactly. And the next person thought, well, I don't know what I want to be, but that sounds good. So I'm going to say civil engineer. So we had about probably at least 25 out of 30 people who said they were going to be civil engineer. So perhaps people are just saying that because it sounds good and they don't actually know what it means. There was there was one influencer, one high school influencer who told the guidance counselor influencer and then all the other kids just fell in line. <laughs> uh, 
And, and David, have you followed up to find out if your grade school class had an unusual number of civil engineer graduates? <laughs> I don't believe it did do. Um, one other thing I remember <laughs> is a friend of mine was obviously going to be a farmer uh, because his dad was a farmer. And he said, huh. I'm going to be a farmer. And everyone laughed at him. But that was a bit sad because obviously he was the only one that was genuinely telling the truth and the most likely to be correct in what he said. And growing food, I mean, that's that's a heck of a job. Very important, very critical job uh, that we all desperately need. In fact, if all other jobs disappeared, that would be the first one that come, came back. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Let's move on to the $10,000 question. If I were to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days in a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? Very challenging question. Uh, $10,000 is not a ton of money, but I think, I think my number one play would be, um, well, I, I want to say retention and amplification focused, and that would be some sort of a uh, program for customers who've been with spark toro for like a year or more and you know potentially sending them each something to say thank you and to recognize their contribution to the growth of our startup and to uh and probably something that was very photogenic um and easily shareable right so it'd be the kind of thing where you get it in the mail and you go, Oh my God, this is amazing. Oh my God. You take a picture of me with this. I need to like share this. Look at what spark Toro sent me. Right. So sorry. I, by by photogenic, I was thinking a picture of you with your Rand wave or something like that, but no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the kind of thing that you, that you want to share, you know, not yeah. just a, I don't know, you know, extra spare laptop battery or something. Right. Um, something, something more, whatever, a, a great t-shirt, uh, um, a, <laughs> a spark Toro candy bar, right? Like, mm. you know, the kind of thing where it's, it, it's physical and consumable and it has like, it brings a degree of delight and joy. How would I measure that? Uh, I would look at the, um, engagement rate with the product over the next 60 days from people who received it. Mm. And I would look at their, um, behavior around the, um, product in, uh, around the account interaction as well. Yeah. Great. Great, great answer. Do they go add more people, you know, go add in more people to their team, um, with access to the product, do they go and whatever, cancel at a, at a lower rate than other people in the platform, that kind of thing. I don't think enough SaaS companies and perhaps other companies use physical products or physical incentives, um, in combination to other virtual incentives or uh, e email marketing, things like that. I remember one virtual summit that I hosted. Um, all I did was I printed 50 or whatever postcards for whoever actually took part in it and just wrote a physical postcard to everyone who took oh, part in, and yeah. sent it to them. And uh, so many people, it was, it was branded on, on, the, uh, on the picture side. And so many people just shared that in social media. I love that. Yeah, I think um, I think there is something really special about 
physical world products when you are such a in such a virtual society and culture, right? That software as a service and that, you know, um, that we all have that it, it, it can be powerful just to have that branding element, right? When I get a, when I get a physical card in the mail mm-hmm. from someone that says, thank you for something, it's, it's very meaningful, yeah. right? Um, what yeah. about if that physical card has been completely auto-generated and the text has obviously been handwritten in inverted commas by a computer? Yeah, then I throw it in the bin. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's entirely different, the yeah. feeling that you get from that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, and these are very, very obvious things, right? So like a card from someone that I don't know that's like that feels more like email spam. Mm-hmm. It's when you get a card from someone you do know, right? Yeah. So, you know, if, for example, if I assigned someone on, I don't know, let's say I hired someone onto SparkToro's team and I was like, hey, I want you to write cards to all hundred people who've been with us for more than a year and blah, 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 and like send them out. That's really different than me writing those cards because they all know me and I know all of them. Because every person who signs up for SparkToro, like I get an email, I email them when they sign up. Like we have, I tend to have some interaction with almost everyone who signs up for SparkToro for, for the for the paid version, the free version. There's too many, but um, that it, it's going to be much more meaningful if you, David, get a card from Rand and it's like, David, thanks so much for being a a member. And also I had a lot of fun on our digital marketing radio show. We should get back on and do an episode about pasta. <laughs> right? And you know, that's a card that you get and you're like, yeah, that Rand guy's all right. Like I, I, that, that was really sweet of him to send this to me that like that perked up my day. It brought a smile to my face. Very different than like, dear David, thank you for being a Spark Toro subscriber for the last 12 months. Sincerely, Charlie on the Spark Toro team. Like, Okay, well, that's fine. It's nice, but it's not the same. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, to finish off, let's shift the focus to someone else who deserves it. So that is a magical marketer. So who's an up-and-coming marketer that you'd like to give a shout-out to? What can we learn from them, and where can we find them? Ooh, it is very hard for me to resist uh, talking about our someone we actually hired, <laughs> uh, Amanda Natividad, who... Um, I, I think I started connecting with her on Twitter in March of this year. Like I started following her and I was very impressed with her work and what she was, what she was hearing on Twitter, what she was writing. She has this personal newsletter that, that goes out every other Sunday, I think, um, via, I think it's a convert kit newsletter anyway, just remarkably impressive person. And, um, clearly an incredibly talented marketer. She also went to, uh, she went to culinary school. Um, so, you know, I, lots of shared interests anyway. So we're, my wife and I were going down to Southern California and she sees this and she made a little like mini website with a bunch of recommendations for, for where to eat in SoCal. And, uh, and we hit up a couple of the spots. Anyway, we met up with, um, and, uh, sat down for lunch and she, you know, at the end of the meal, she's like, I, this is a lot of fun, but I need to pitch you on something. I think I should be SparkTor's first employee. Let me tell you why. <laughs> Just boom, right there. Anyway, I, yeah, Casey and I were like, yeah, we 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 have to bring her onto the team. If you follow her on Twitter, um, 
she is it's Amanda Amanda Natividad. Um, she is absolutely brilliant there. She posts a thread um, probably every two to three days that is as good or better than any other marketing advice you'll find on that platform. Um, and she now sends the Spark Toro newsletter and uh, and runs Office Hours, which is our, our biweekly event series and has done a bunch of onboarding work and all that kind of stuff too. Uh, so highly recommended. She's at Amanda N-A-T, Amanda Nat. Superb. Okay, well, I will make sure that um, she's linked to in the show notes as well. Wow. Um, this was episode 264 of Digital Marketing Radio, where Brian Fishkin from Spark Toro shared some very interesting advice. We were going to talk about audience research, and we did cover audience research to yeah. a certain degree. We talked about brand, though, as well. Um, how, if you're going to go for your brand, don't go for a brand that exists already in Google and other places. Don't go for a brand that necessarily means something in your industry. Go for something a little bit left field that um, you can own. We talked about perhaps saying no to personas um, and also um, about being an Italophile, <laughs> among many other <laughs> wonderful things. Um, you shared ProfitWell as your secret software brands and also the fact that you're going to do a monthly video interview series as your next on the list. And of course, your magical marketer was Amanda Natividad. Hopefully I said the surname correctly there. Um, I will make sure Amanda and all the other resources that um, uh, you shared there are in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. Rand, what is the best social platform for someone to follow you and to say hi? Ooh, I mean, it depends what you like. If you want pictures of pasta, I'm uh, Rand DeRoyter, my, my wife's last name, Rand DeRoyter on Instagram. If you like uh, me complaining about societal issues and uh, tech and sharing some of my marketing advice, that would be Twitter. Uh, if you're looking for almost exclusively professional and sparktoral content, that would be LinkedIn. Uh, and of course, if you want to read my writing, you can follow me sparktoro.com slash blog, where I write once every week or two. Absolutely superb stuff. Well, thanks again for coming on. Um, I've been your host, David Bain. You can also find me producing podcasts and YouTube shows for BTB brands over at castingcred.com. Until we meet again, stay hungry, stay foolish, and stay subscribed. Aloha. Digital Marketing Radio, digitalmarketingradio.com